Thanks for joining us here at New Song Church, where we are helping people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you have any questions at all or just want to learn more about us as a church, you can check us out online at mynsc.org. It's the best way to stay connected with us throughout your week. And now, check out this week's sermon. There we go. That's better. Hey, I have an awesome honor and a privilege uh, to be able to introduce the gentleman that's about to come up and bring the word this morning. Uh, it's a man that's very dear to my heart. Uh, it's a man that I've got to call pastor for almost 20 years now, and uh, we keep in touch. He pastors an amazing, just servant-hearted church in Fort Myers, Florida, uh, that he's going to tell you a little bit more about. And he was awesome enough to come up and, and lead and, and be the lead speaker at our uh, men's retreat this past weekend, which was awesome. Do we have a couple guys that went to men's retreat? Come on. Can we? There's a couple of you? All right. Yeah, there was a lot. There was first service, second service. We had a great group of guys that came out and uh, really was able to encounter God and Pastor David was able to come and lead us and did a tremendous job. So I am honored. New song, could you do me a favor? Could we just give the loudest heartfelt ovation as we welcome Pastor David Pleasant? Thank you. It's been a privilege, and I want to extend my appreciation uh, to Pastor Justin and the staff, the pastors on staff, of allowing me to come for the second time uh, to the men's conference and to teach and preach. And this is the second time I get to share Pastor Justin's pulpit um, here at the church. And I have been incredibly blessed already by the fellowship and the men that we spent uh, a couple of days together, and I really uh, value the friendships that were developed and I uh, am privileged uh, to worship with you. And we had an incredible first service, and uh, I, I kind of got some things out uh, on the table right up front. You know, I, I don't expect that I'm going to preach better than your pastor or your pastoral staff, um, but I'm going to do my best, and I'm going to share the word that God has placed on my heart um, to share with you. I come from Fort Myers. I've been there 18 years. It's kind of a unique story where God took a crazy idea. In the, ever notice that when God has an idea that sometimes it sounds crazy to people like you and me? You know, it really does. You know, like, you know, what I'm going to preach about today doesn't seem like it's a cure for leprosy, but it was by the time the scriptures unfold. But can you imagine I went to follow one of my mentors 18 years ago and after seven years, God shows up and says, hey, I got an idea. I need you to do something by faith. I want you to step outside the denomination that you've been a part of all of your life, and you're at least three generations deep, possibly four. We weren't mad. We weren't angry. We didn't have any church issues. It was just a moment of faith, and we were obedient. And so uh, the, the uh, denomination that we were a part of is a centralized form of government, which literally means that they own the building, they own the microphones, they own all of the bank accounts, everything. So we had church on Sunday and Monday, we were broke. And we, that's how we started a church called Elevation. And uh, it was incredible. We, we saw God do some incredible things. We went to a high school. 
started helping as many people as we could, and we were preaching and living out the gospel. We at CityGate say, that, say it this way. We want to preach the gospel with words and deeds. We don't want to just tell you about Jesus, but we want to demonstrate Jesus through acts of service that allow us to do things like pre-COVID, we would serve 125 homeless men and women in downtown Fort Myers. And it's just incredible. And, and to, we would give showers, we would provide breakfast, and we would do laundry. We would start the laundry on Tuesday, and we would finish it on Thursday. That's how many loads we would have to do. But man, the people's lives that we saw changed. It was incredible. But God decided that he wasn't just going to partner me with another church. He was going to partner me with a 125-year-old, it's 127-year-old now, liturgical Baptist church. And by the way, I'm not Baptist. We were much like New Song. We're contemporary. We're casual. And, um, you know, we just worshiped differently. And we were used by God to demonstrate how God could take the diversity of the body of Christ and unify them, that we didn't always have to do things the same way all the time. And so we went on this journey, and it's been incredible. We, we, uh, we're seven days a week, 24 hours a day. There's not a Sunday. There, there may be four, three to four Sundays an entire year where somebody doesn't get saved incredible to see people coming to Christ every single week, see miracles happen. It's incredible. And so what I want to do is just say thank you again for the privilege, and I'm going to jump right into the text. It's, you ever notice that church is kind of a place where I, I've never been around more people that have it together than in church? Because every time you ask somebody, how are you doing? Everybody says, man, I'm doing great. How are you? And we know that if anything is a reflection of how I feel most uh, on a lot of Sundays is that, man, we've been, we face the enemy. We face challenges. We've had ups and downs. We've had ins and outs, and everything isn't always good. You know, I've had to officiate. Um, we had five deaths in seven days, one of them being a 29-year-old young man. You know, it's been a tough time, man. We've had struggles. And today's sermon is about a battle or a storm underneath the surface, right behind that smile, right behind those words that you may have passed somebody that you walked into this building and you uh, greeted them and said, how are you doing? And they may have even said, yes, we're doing just fine. But probably they have some things going on right underneath the surface that needs at least prayer that we need to address and we need to find out what God wants from us and how he can do something incredible and miraculous when we reveal the need that we really truly have. And so I'm going to ask you, would you pray with me? And then we're going to go to 2 Kings chapter 5. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for a moment that just moves us. I thank you for the authenticity of Scripture, and I humbly stand before this congregation not trying to impress them with my ability to speak or the lack thereof. I'm going to stand firmly on the foundation of the authority of your word and that, Father, that I believe your word is more than enough. That, Father, that your word can change the life of a man or woman. Your word can set someone free. Your word can break chains of bondage. Your word can bring miracles, open doors. And so, Father, today... We have to have you in this place. We ask and invite you into our presence, and we ask that you anoint your word to go forth with power, and that you anoint me as a servant to speak under the influence and the impact of the power of the Holy Spirit, and I give you the praise and honor in Jesus' name, and everybody said, 
Amen. 2 Kings chapter 5 is about a story about a man named Naaman. Now, Naaman is a general in the Syrian army. And Naaman is one of those guys that I want you to use your imagination just a little bit for us to paint a picture in your mind and in your heart of what this guy might look like. He's courageous. He's powerful. He is built for war. He is incredibly trained. He's incredibly skilled. He's got it all together. He's got the house. He's got the privilege. He's got the title. He's got the influence. He's got the medals. He's got it all together. If I, you know, when I'm painting it in my imagination, if you ever heard the name Leonidas, you know, he's that soldier that is ripped. He's a man's man. He knows how to handle himself on a battlefield. That was Naaman. He's that guy or that lady that if we were passing Naaman in Plymouth, he would be that person that you would think on the outside. And if you just looked at the surface of who he really is, you would say, man, it's that person that has, you know, they seem to have it all together. They seem to have the right job, the right neighborhood, the right family, the right money, the right wife, the right husband, whatever it is that you paint in your mind as success. That was Naaman. It's that person that if you looked at the surface, you might want to trade places with. But sometimes you can't always judge a book by its cover because what's on the inside is just as important because not always what you see on the outside is the way that somebody is living on the inside. Sometimes, like I said personally, that Sometimes my face and my outward countenance might say I've got it all together, but sometimes I fight battles on the inside, struggles, challenges, battles, that some of them are life and death situations. You've got people in this room right now that right behind the smile that you walked by, they're struggling with things. They're, they're in an ongoing battle with sin. And maybe if their issue isn't sin, maybe it's something that they're trying to handle on their own, like things like depression, bitterness, jealousy, envy, all of those things, broken hearts, disappointments, grief. All of those things are in the hearts and lives of the people that you're sitting in a room with right now. And that if we could see them the way God sees them, on the outside, everything looks calm, but on the inside, it feels like a storm, feels like a washing machine turning their life upside down. They don't know if they're going to make it. That's Naaman. The Bible introduces you to him in the very first verse of chapter 5, and it says this, Naaman, a commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and high in favor, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, which meant he was courageous. He was one that would challenge the enemy and get, in, get close in proximity. He enjoyed hand-to-hand -hand combat. He was courageous, but... He was a leper. See, anytime the Bible says the word but, you really need to pay attention to the sentences that follow it. See, sometimes we see ourselves and we want to portray like everything is moving smoothly and that's this guy. He had the medals. He had the privilege. He had the prestige. He could walk through town and everybody knew his name. 
But underneath the armor, when he went home and he had to get real, underneath the armor, when he would start to take off the armor of a soldier, there was a little white spot. It's called leprosy. Leprosy is not caused by sin, but it has a lot of the same characteristics of sin. It starts out small. Normally, it's just a white speck. You think it's going to go away, but it doesn't. And in your imagination of this general that you've painted in your mind, I'm going to let you put that white speck anywhere that you really want to. In my mind, it's kind of like on his shoulder, something he could cover up with his armor. On the outside, he looks healthy, but right beneath the surface is this little white dot. And what leprosy does is it starts to infect an area. And what it does is it starts to kill the nerve endings and you lose the ability to feel pain in that area. And so what happens is, is you start, especially if it was on your shoulder, it kind of goes numb and you start running into things because you can't feel them. And it causes bumps, bruises, and cuts. And what happens is is those cuts become infected. And that infection starts to spread. And that leprosy starts to move throughout the body. It eventually gets to a place like your hand. And what happens is literally the white spot starts on the outside of the hand. But yet it kills the nerve endings. And you end up losing all of your fingers. And then your hand. And then your arm. And then your life. Doesn't that sound very similar to some of the challenges that me and you face when we try to battle sin on our own? It starts small. The enemy never comes with the temptation of this is going to ruin your life. This is going to turn your world upside down. This is going to take everything away from you that you hold dear and that you value. No, he never comes with that. He says, it's just a little thing. Just allow a little thing, but little things turn into big things. And now you're trying to battle it on your own because you're afraid. Because if someone ever sees it, then they're going to know that you're not perfect. Man, if I could ever speak a truth to the body of Christ, God knows we're not perfect. That's why he sent his son so he could be perfect for us so we wouldn't have to fear. I taught that to the men in our our conference over the weekend. Did you realize that the passage of the prodigal son, remember that guy that went crazy, asked his dad, hey, I don't want to wait for you to die. Give me my stuff as if you were dead and I can go on and do my life the way I want to do it. He lived riotously and partied and he squandered all of his money, ended up in a pig pen. You know, nowhere in that passage do you find him not being a son? He was never disowned. Matter of fact, his son felt like he was disowned and wanted to go back and be a servant. And his dad said, no, 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 bring him the robe, bring him the shoes. My son once was lost, now he's found. And sometimes we believe if God sees us the way we really are, that he's he's not going to like us and not going to love us. But that simply just isn't true. The power of scripture says that he loved us while we were yet sinners. And so he already knows. It's, it, the, the issue of hiding from God is a, is a um, responsibility and a weight that we carry to deal with the guilt on the inside. And we carry this massive weight of trying to hide from somebody that you can't hide from. And he's like, well, when are we going to deal with this? I love you anyway. Come to me. Let's deal with the challenge. Then there's others, like I said in the room, that, you know, underneath the surface, they're just, their life is just throwing them a curveball, man. They, they've, they've done the right things. They, they, they follow their faith. They're, they're sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but life just happens. Anybody ever got offended after they got saved? 
say amen? Anybody got their feelings hurt? Anybody ever lost a loved one after you got saved and you had to go through guilt, or not guilt, but grief? Anybody had a friend that you thought that was going to stick with you but just kind of abandoned you since you got saved? All those things that are wounds that we carry underneath the surface that we can hide with a smile. Say everything's okay. But when you are dealing with issues underneath the surface, you're looking for hope in any direction. And do you know that sometimes hope comes in the strangest places? This guy had conquered a a portion of Israel, and during the raid on Israel, he had taken captive a prisoner of war, a little girl. She became maid to his wife. He must have been a good man because he treated her well because she didn't want him to die. And one day when he was taking off his armor, she noticed the spot. And told his wife, said, you know what? I wish we were in Israel because in the area of Samaria, there's a prophet and he could heal him. A word of hope that seems coming from the most inconspicuous character in the whole chapter of the second book of Kings chapter 5. The prisoner of war servant girl, probably 12 to 14 years of age, says, let me give you a word of hope. There's a God in Israel that has a prophet. Now, in COVID, we can't touch our neighbor. So look at your neighbor and tell them, God's got a plan for you. (laughs) There's hope. And so what happened was, is that he gets excited about hope and he goes to his king and says, King, I've been a good servant unto you. I've fought battles on your behalf. I've won victories on your behalf. I heard there's a prophet in Israel that can cure leprosy and incurable disease. Man, you need to, there's a prophet. We need to lay hold of that word here at New Song because I want you to know that you have to, there's two types of people in church, people that know about God and people that know God. And you don't really have a lot of, of sense of faith when you only are running into somebody that knows about God. But when you know somebody that knows God and you have the fellowship and the friendship of the believers here in this house and you know your staff has been praying for you, it's like me coming from Florida and you saying when we get dismissed out there in the lobby, you say, you know Johnny? I said, no, I really don't know Johnny. I heard of Johnny. I heard about him at the men's conference, but I ain't never met Johnny. But it would be different if you come to me and said, hey, do you know Johnny? I said, yeah, I had breakfast with him this morning. I don't just know about him, I know him. Isn't it, doesn't it feel safe in a place like this with believers, brothers and sisters in Christ that don't just know about God, but they know him and they, they will go to prayer on your behalf and that they have fellowship with intimacy with God this week on your behalf, knowing that you may have a need that needs prayer, that if we just reveal it, a miracle could happen. Amen. That's a good place right there. And so he goes to his king. He says, I tell you what I'll do. I'm going to write a letter to the king of Israel. And you take this, king, this, this letter to the king of Israel and tell him to tell that, he, that he, we want the cure for leprosy. Listen to what the Bible says. And the king of Syria said, go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 changes of clothing. And he brought a letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent you to sent you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. 
And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I a god to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking to quarrel me. He thought he was trying to start a war because literally he was sending a man with an incurable disease for him to cure. And all he knew was about God. But there was a prophet in Israel that knew God. And you have fellowship with brothers and sisters here at New Song that know God, that know the word of God, and know that we can walk together through the challenges of life, and you don't have to carry the burden all alone. And But sometimes we wonder, can I really be vulnerable? The answer is yes. There's safety in the midst of believers. And all of a sudden... He goes to the king. He is, he's willing to travel. You have to participate in your miracle, by the way. All of Scripture, when you're recording, uh, looking up and, and studying miracles, look at all the miracles. You, you find me one place where Jesus does anything that you could do for yourself. Let's just use one of the miracles. How many of you have ever heard about the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000? Say amen. All right. We know that Andrew found a kid with a bag lunch. He brings it to Jesus. Jesus takes a few fish and a few loaves, breaks it so many times that it feeds 5,000 men, not counting the women and children, a crowd of 12 to 14,000. But you know what? He didn't take the first bite for anybody. He provided them provision, but they had to eat for themselves. You say, oh, man, that's cool, Pastor. That, that makes sense. How about the man with the, you remember the cripple guy? They said, do you want to be made whole? And he says, yeah. He said, okay, take up your bed and walk. You can't do anything about your legs, but you clean your mess up. See, we have to participate sometimes. Naaman was willing to drive a horse all the way from Syria to Israel to the palace of the king. Now the king's having you know, a fit because he knows that he doesn't have the ability to cure an incurable disease. So what happens is, is God tells the prophet and the prophet sends a message to the king. Listen what the prophet said. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, we ha why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. He said, send the hopeless man to me. I know how to handle it. I've got a God that deals in hopeless situations. I've got a God that can do anything. I know a God intimately. I had coffee. This is what he's saying in my imagination. I had coffee with him this morning. I prayed one time. I was surrounded. My, the whole area of Samaria was surrounded by an invading army. And, and my, my servant Gehazi had a fit thinking we were going to die on that day. And I, I told him, I said, there's more with us than there are with him. And he looked at me crazy. And he said, there's one, two. There's a lot of them. He said, now God opened up his eyes and he saw the flaming chariots of heaven and the angelic army of God surrounding the army that thought that they had him surrounded. See, when you are in fellowship in a place that knows God, you don't run from the impossible, messy situations. They become opportunities for miracles. When it, it, shouldn't that be kind of the, the, the fight song for new song that you're walking through Plymouth and you run into a situation that seems to be impossible in somebody's life and you say, you know what? We know a God that can handle something like that because that's the moment that you see God do transformation. The power of the gospel is to transform from present circumstances to something that is better. Amen? 
If you read my book on the cover when I was 20 years old, you'd say, he can never be a pastor. He's crazy. He's on drugs. He's a mess. But the transformational power of God can do incredible things when people believe that God can do the impossible. I would have been the least likely you would have voted to ever become a pastor. And I've been doing it now for 26 years. Miracles happening. So he comes, he leaves the palace, gets back on his horse, comes to the prophet's house, knocks on the door. How many of you have ever got mad at God? You can admit it. We're going to do that right now. You can admit it. You've got a little angry at God because he did something that you didn't understand. Can we say amen? Yeah. Like we have an idea how God should do all the things in our life. And most of the times, our ideas are instant. We just need God to do the instant stuff. But most of the time, your miracles at the end of a process. That's a good place for you to look back at your neighbor that you told was they, they had some hope and tell them most of the time it's a process. Tell them right now. The prophet doesn't even go to the door. He sends Gehazi, his servant. He goes to the door and said, hey, prophet heard from God. He knows why you're here. You're Naaman, right? You're the general from Syria. Oh, by the way, go wash seven times in the Jordan River and you can be made well. The Bible literally says he becomes furious because he wanted Elijah to come act like a magician. He said, shouldn't he come out and let me show him my spot and him wave his hand over it and tell God for it to go away? Sometimes we don't want to participate in the process. We want the miracle instantly, but we think that we know more about the situation than God does. Here's where I tell you a little story. I come up here every year in October and November. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about outdoor activities, so I don't want to offend anybody by saying the word hunting. So we're going to call it crop management. I am helping the farmers with crop management. And last year, I got off the plane perfectly healthy. I slept one night, and I called my wife on the second night and said, I've tore the rotator cuff in my left arm. I could barely hold my bow in my hand. And just by the grace of God and adrenaline, when the opportunity come, I had just enough strength. Now, I was desperate because of the pain. I couldn't sleep. I didn't sleep for almost nine days, just an hour or two at night. I was, I know I'm going to admit some things that I did wrong, so... Um, Yep, send Pastor Justin the email. <laughs> I mean, I was hurting so bad, and I was a long way away from a doctor, and, you know, I was staying with friends, and my friend said, well, you know, I went through a surgery, or I had this, and they had prescription pain medicine, and I said, give me whatever you got. I need it. I've tore my rotator cuff. By the seventh or eighth day, I've called my wife and say, I land at this time. We have a chiropractor that goes to our church, and and I said, I landed this time. You make me an appointment with Dr. Daryl, and I want to go straight from the plane to him. I've got to get some relief. And I walked into his office, 
And literally in two minutes, he said, it's not your shoulder. I said, what? No, it hurts right here. He said, yeah, but you got a, a nerve pinched in your neck. See, I was trying to deal with the symptom instead of the problem. And sometimes we are praying for God to do something instantly that will only cure the symptom of the real issue going on in our life. And so we need the process for it to be revealed to us how great God is. Raul, if you'll get ready to play me something. So he's now furious. He loads up his king's ransom back on his chariot. He was going to pay the prophet. By the way, God's not for sale. And so he loads it back up, and isn't it amazing how two people can hear the same thing, and one of them can be encouraged and the other one can be discouraged? <laughs> yeah. The guy that's driving the chariot is like this. Because Naaman really is a good man, and he takes care of his people, and they truly wanted him to get better. Naaman is, is enraged. Scripture literally tells you he is mad because the prophet didn't come wave his hand over him and declare his leprosy to be gone. And he gets back on the chariot piping mad. And he starts to head back to Syria. And the guy driving says what's wrong didn't you hear the news you don't have to die when you come here you had no hope but the man of God sent you a word from God that said you don't have to die of the issue going on underneath the surface you just have to be obedient get in the water what do you got to lose and he starts out with, there's better rivers in Syria. I don't make any sense. Could it be that simple? See, some of you raised your hand early. Some of you may raise it after this sermon. Could I really, could my life change simply by raising my hand? Well, it's not the act of raising your hand. That's the act of faith to say I'm believing in who Jesus really is. And I believe that if he is who he is, he did what he said he did by dying and paying a price I couldn't pay. And having the authority of the power of his resurrection to resurrect my life. And you really, Pastor, my sins can go as far as the east is from the west just by one moment in the, in the presence of the, of the King of Kings just by raising my hand and praying and having the believers believe in the authority of Scripture over my life? Yes. Can someone receive a healing, deliverance? Can somebody break chains of bondage instantly? Yes. Just by maybe the slipping up of a hand. One act of obedience. Sounds crazy. You say, Pastor, you're really using that word crazy a lot. An incurable disease. And all you got to do is put water on it. That sounds crazy, right? No, it didn't have anything to do with the water. 
had everything to do with who said to get in the water and your act of obedience to get in the water and be obedient to who you said you wanted help from. So he pulls over. He says, man, you're probably right. I know this is this looks a little strange, but pull on over. He pulls over, he gets off the chariot, and he starts taking off his armor. See, sometimes you just got to be who you really are. If you're struggling, you got to be that person that's struggling to have a moment with somebody to help you carry the burden, to remember you in prayer, to undergird you with faith. He starts to take and they go, oh man, look, the spot used to be this big. Now it's this big. He's getting in the water. He's taking a bath. He's bathed a thousand times. That don't help. It's just water. No, this time it's different because now it's an act of obedience. He takes his hand and puts it in the water and he splashes himself one time. Wonder what went through his mind when he come up out of the water and he still had leprosy. This is crazy. This doesn't work. He didn't tell you to dip one time. There's this little guy over there on the on the, the chariot cheering him on. Like, you only got six more left to go. And you're gonna be healed. And he goes down second time, third time, and the, the guy's getting more excited, and Naaman's probably struggling with doubt. He's probably struggling with, this doesn't make any sense. I've had water all over my body a thousand times. You only got three more times, four times, five times, six times, still has leprosy. But on the seventh time, when obedience met and crossed and intersected with the authority of God's word. He said on the seventh time, your skin will be like a new baby. He comes up out of the water the seventh time, doesn't feel any different than the other six times, but he looks down and the power of God's word had taken hold and through an act of obedience that looked crazy on the surface, provided a faith for a miracle to take place. What would it be like to walk out the door if you come in here, if you're one of those that said, you know, Pastor, I've been on an ongoing battle with sin, and it seems like every time I try to handle it on myself, it beats me because I can't handle sin on my own. And I was always afraid that if I told God I was struggling with sin, he'd get mad at me and send me to hell. No, that's the point where he shows his, his stuff. I'm all about making Jesus famous. I want you to know that if you are struggling with sin, he's the answer. He's the one that can fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit to secure and seal the authority of God's word in your life. That even when you fall short, the power of grace picks you back up. Can somebody say amen? And maybe you aren't struggling with sin. Maybe you're wounded. You're hurt. Somebody let you down. They disappointed you. Maybe you didn't know that there was still hope for what you considered to be a dead marriage. Maybe there's a moment where God can restore a broken heart. There's a moment that through obedience of just saying, what is going, I look all right on the outside, but on the inside, I'm struggling. But this is your moment that God created just for you to send a guy all the way from Fort Myers to tell you through one act of obedience, one raising of a hand, your miracle could be on the other side. Stand to your feet.
Father, I stand before this congregation of people knowing the truth of your word, knowing what happened in first service. We're like that little girl that was in the house of Naaman. We know that there's a God in the house. We know that there's a God that can do it right now. And so, Father, we're also, because the enemy will immediately take a a message like this and say, you know what, it doesn't make any sense to raise a hand. Just like it didn't make any sense for him to get into a water called the Jordan River. But an act of obedience, an act of participation in a miracle produced the atmosphere to experience the miracle. Father, they may not be dealing with sin in their life, but maybe they're dealing with hurt, pain, disappointment, depression, struggles, jealousy, envy, bitterness that is wounding them every single day. On the outside, they look like they got it together, but on the inside, it could be like a storm. And you've come to steal the storm today. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to be that person that cheers you on. I'm just the guy riding in the chariot saying, what do you got to lose? If you're struggling with sin and I ask you to raise your hand, what do you have to lose? If you by faith just believe that through one act of participation, you can find fellowship with an almighty God. It's not in the act of raising your hand. It's the act of faith that that hand represents. So if you, nobody's looking around, if you have an ongoing battle with sin, I'm not even saying you're not a Christian. If you just have an ongoing battle with sin that you're ready to conquer or allow God to conquer once and for all right here, right now, nobody's looking around. Will you just put your hand up where I can see who I'm praying with? Oh my goodness. It's just like first service. There's hands everywhere. You can put your hands down. Now, maybe your battle's not sin. Maybe it's one of those other things. Maybe it's a broken heart. Maybe it's depression, struggle, stress. Maybe it's bitterness, hurt, pain, disappointment from somebody letting you down. And it's always underneath the surface trying to ruin your day. I'm here to say that I believe that with the same act of faith of those that raise their hand with the battle of sin, I think that your battle could be won today with one act of faith. And so if you have one of those other issues, will you raise your hand right now? Oh, and just like first service, there's a house full of hands that are going up. Now you can put those hands down. And I'm going to pray and then pastor is going to come. Father, right now, for those that had on this ongoing battle with sin, maybe they're starting a relationship with Christ right now. So, Father, right now we are declaring that the authority of the price of Calvary and the blood of Jesus, as pastor mentioned during communion, is enough to forgive sin. There is no more now, no guilt, no shame, no condemnation. Sin is as far as the east is from the west. Their new beginning, their new birth, their regeneration starts right now. They've been redeemed into not only being saved, but now they're part of the family of God. And so, Father, let them walk in the the power and the freedom of that atmosphere of the power of the gift of salvation. And that we declare that the battle over the ongoing sin in their life is ended today through an act of obedience and an act of faith, not because we're better or we're any 
that we're good, it's because you are great. And so we stand in your greatness and the authority of your sovereignty in Jesus' name. Father, for all of those that raised their hand with an issue that was not related to sin, whether it was bitterness, Father, free the heart from bitterness and unforgiveness right now. Father, if they're challenged with depression or grief, let them know that there's joy that comes in the morning. Father, if they're struggling with with other issues going on in their life, pain, disappointment, we declare that in this atmosphere right now with the sovereign power of God in this house, we don't just know about God, we know God. So we declare in the name of Jesus, they are free. And in the name of Jesus, when they walk out of here, shackles and chains fall off and they get to breathe free air and live as children of the Most High. And I give you the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in what God is doing through your life, and we would love to continue on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to mynsc.org connect. Thank you to all of you who consistently give, serve, and pray. You are the ones that God is using to truly make a difference in our community as we live out our mission of leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. We hope you tune in next week.